You're listening to the free, abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can yeah. still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For April 18th, 2018, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. This is the second part of our double dose of Denning, in which we'll continue our conversation with Bloomberg journalist Liam Denning about some of the disruptive forces of energy transition and try to understand the effects they're having on many disparate aspects of the energy world. From producing oil and gas to managing the power grid, to using smart home appliances to consume energy more wisely, to changing the ways we wash our dishes and get from point A to point B, these disruptive forces of energy transition can play surprisingly similar roles in very different sectors. In the first part of this interview, in episode 66, we looked at how new technologies like horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing have combined to produce new volumes of oil and gas, and how financial instruments made all that possible when it might not have been possible just a few decades ago, and how the very same types of financial innovations have enabled Tesla to bring to market new vehicle technologies and become a viable upstart in a capital-intensive sector that is littered with the corpses of would-be challengers to the entrenched incumbents of the auto industry. So if you haven't listened to episode 66 first, you definitely should. In the second part, we'll consider how changing consumer preferences are working to optimize the power grid, which is challenging the incumbents there and essentially destroying the merchant power generation business, and how regulations may finally begin to internalize the real costs of energy production and consumption and tilt the balance of markets further toward cleaner, safer alternatives if the incumbents who benefit from the current arrangements don't manage to twist markets once more in their own favor. And finally, we'll consider the implications of falling energy prices for energy markets and energy company business models. Then, in the new segment of this episode, we'll have a very brief look at some of the implications of FERC's new storage order, a congressional attempt to gut PURPA, a look at GE's next mega wind turbine, new bans on diesel vehicles, and new reports on fraud and malfeasance in the clean coal and nuclear sectors. But first, the second half of our two-hour conversation with Liam Denning, recorded February 25th, 2018. Well, let's move on and talk about consumer preferences here a little bit. I don't mm -hmm. know how much we want to belabor this, but I do see a modest increase in consumers being interested in managing their own consumption of electricity, mm -hmm. especially where they have a good time of use rate and are taught by the utility or someone else how to take advantage of it. I think more often we're actually seeing demand flexibility be not because of consumer behavior necessarily, but because they have preferred or chosen to adopt 
smart home technologies like the Nest thermostat mm-hmm. or smart water heaters. I think that the smart home sector as a whole hasn't quite yet lived up to its hype, no. certainly not of the hype of a decade ago that I remember. But, you know, that seems to me actually to be more about a lack of good technology options to consumers than mm-hmm. a lack of consumer interest. We still have not been able to crack the nut of appliances actually being able to talk to each other or to a central control unit for a smart home. There aren't any good user interfaces for consumers to control their appliances centrally. There are no useful interoperable standards and interfaces for data exchange and device management and all that kind of stuff. I got to say, I started my dishwasher last night, which I very rarely use, but I happen to have a lot of dishes because I had a dinner party. And I just noticed for the first time that there was that delay start button on the dishwasher. Oh, okay. And the point of that, of course, is if you have a time of use rate and you know that prices are going to be, let's say, eight cents a kilowatt hour overnight instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, 15 or 20 cents a kilowatt hour on peak, you could fill the dishwasher, set that delay button, say, start eight hours from now and let it run overnight while I'm sleeping and prices are cheap. How many people do you think actually ever push that button? Uh, the square root of zero uh, would be my <laughs> wild, wild guess. Look, I think, you know, you're hitting on a very important point here, which is, let's face it, most people don't really think about energy. They, or at least they only think about it when it's not available, you know? I mean, I remember someone saying to me a while back that the best PR the utilities could ever have done was to get into the habit of regularly just switching people's power off a half hour every day, right? <laughs> making them realize just how dependent they are on it. Yeah. But I think that is a huge inertia problem that the industry has to change. And I'm hopeful that someone will crack that now. And I'm sure they will. And I've seen examples in real life of some really innovative things that have been done around that. You know, if I take you back to that EV that my wife and I had, so we had the the BMW i3, we leased it for a couple of years. It was a really great car. And one of the things that it does is this app on your phone. And when you would finish a journey, the app would give you an efficiency rating, a percentage, you know, a mark out of 100. And here's the funny thing. Very quickly, this figure became the center of such rivalry between my wife and I. <laughs> I mean, really, this is just just crazy, right? I mean, I could just see you walking in the front yeah. door going, honey, you wouldn't believe the score yeah. I got today. Right, Top exactly. That. Right. Or I wouldn't say anything. I'd just walk up and just like flash my phone at her and just, <laughs> you know have a smarmy look on my face. (laughs) And it's funny because I went to visit BMW in Silicon Valley about six months ago. And when I was talking to them, I brought that up and they said, you know, that is kind of what we're going for because, and again, I'm paraphrasing what they said, but they said something along the lines of, I don't have my notes in front of me, but they said something along the lines of what we need to do is we need to get people to shift their thinking away from thinking in terms of miles per gallon and thinking in terms of efficiency and kilowatt hours and if you and that's precisely what they did to my wife and I just with injecting that small bit of competition into things yeah you know those are really innovative things and we're going to need to see more of that to make people more interested in 
how they use their energy. Obviously, you know, this is not a market that, particularly on the power side, has a great history in terms of sending good price signals to people. So again, you know, there's inertia on the customer side and there's inertia on the industry side. And I think, sadly, that will take a while to change. But, you know, on the consumer preference aspect, the more I think about it, it does occur to me that personal pride, patriotism, or in this case, just the sheer thrill of competition could actually become real drivers of energy consumer savvy and frugality, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's all about... I mean, what you really want to do is figure out a way to hijack the reward centers of our brains, right? I mean, <laughs> sort of the right. the positive right. side of this yeah. narrative we've heard about recently of, you know, the Facebook former exec coming out with his mea culpa saying, yeah, we figured out how to hijack it and right. it's been a terrible effect on society. Well, we can figure out how to hijack it and make it a good effect on society here. Yeah, so exactly. So if you use that delay start button on your dishwasher, then you know, you get a thimble full of scotch delivered to you. You know, that's kind of, we need to all become I'm, lab I'm just going to be and, and, pushing uh, the button on my dishwasher like all day. Right. Yeah. right Honey, right. why is it taking you so long to start the dishwasher? Well, I... <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> but, you know, I think the consumer preference aspect of it is slowly being changed just by the superiority of the technology. You know, like once somebody gets a solar system, especially if they are one of the few customers who actually has and uses and looks at a monitoring system for their solar system, and they see how much power mm -hmm. they're generating and they see how much money they're saving, that can be a real pleasure for people. And it's certainly yeah. true as far as I've seen that once someone takes their first ride in a Tesla, or even another EV, yeah. they just want one immediately. Absolutely. I mean, we are, having owned that i3, I'm now, I've moved back to the East Coast. I'm having to use a regular gasoline vehicle now, and I would much prefer to have an EV. You know, one point I do want to make is I think there is also some impetus from, from the corporate side to try and reposition for a world in which people are more conscious of their energy decisions. You even see it on the, you know, on the energy side. One of the things that struck me in the past year is how oil majors like Shell and BP in particular are suddenly emphasizing their downstream and customer-focused businesses, which is a huge turnaround because the downstream was really the Cinderella of the industry because all the money was made in the upstream business. And that was really where you if you were an engineer at one of these companies, you really wanted to work in the upstream part of the business. And what's been striking is Shell and BP have made a concerted effort over the past year to say, hey, we have these downstream customer-focused businesses where you know we're going to have service stations that offer all these bells and whistles for you know consumer experiences while you either fill your car with gas or plug it into all these EV charging stations that we're we're going to have, or we'll deliver your energy to you in some form. We'll send someone out in a tank to fill your gas tank, or or we'll sell you electricity directly because now we're investing in utilities. Now, huge caveat, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to be able to pull all this off. The point I want to make is it's interesting to me that they're doing this. And I think it goes back to this issue of the idea that there are now structural headwinds to oil demand 
and there are intimations of mortality for oil demand growth. Yeah. And I think the realization is spreading that as they look to the future, all of the profits aren't necessarily going to be at the wellhead. And what you're going to have to do is actually take this raw commodity and in some ways try and turn it into more of a consumer product. It almost gets differentiated. You know, in a way, it's like a weird sort of repeat of what happened in the 50s when oil companies fell over themselves to build retail service stations, you know, and have all these like extra services, like cleaning your car for you while you were parked there and that, and that sort of thing. This is I like, mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember choosing a service station in the seventies because right. they give you a free mug or <laughs> whatever. Right. It was. Exactly. These little tchotchkes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move on and talk a little bit about regulation. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be. So if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and join. Annual subscriptions are just $60 a year. Monthly subscriptions and per-episode purchases are also available. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. And let me offer a special welcome to the students and educators out there who have joined Joined our new subscribers. A half dozen university classes are now using the show as coursework, with more joining all the time, so welcome. And if you're a student or an educator who would like to inquire about our unbeatable educational discount, just shoot me an email at chris at energytransitionshow.com and we'll work something out for you. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. Back in mid-February, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, rocked the U.S. energy sector with Order 841, its long-awaited ruling on how storage should be treated in U.S. wholesale electricity markets. The order directs the ISO and RTO regional grid operators to develop new tariffs and implement them within two years. The new tariffs must allow storage to sell multiple services to the grid, including energy, capacity, and ancillary services, and to set power market prices as purchasers and sellers of energy. Now, this is a deep subject as long time. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network. Thank you.